seats are going to be in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. And let's have a quick word of prayer and we'll get going then. Lord, thankful for the time to be here. And Lord, we pray as always you would teach and we would listen through your spirit. And we just say thank you, Lord. And uh, looking forward to uh, what you have to say in the book this morning in your name. Amen. All right, we're getting to the point of Proverbs, which is uh, my favorite part of Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are what I call more of the teaching Proverbs, making big points, um, more teaching in that end mindset. Whereas from chapter 10 on, you get these little nuggets that may only be a verse or two verses long, and I love these little nuggets. This is the part of Proverbs I like, is when you get to Proverbs 10, as you read through this, you just hear these little nuggets, and you just mark it, underline it, and say, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Now, with Proverbs here, from chapter 10 on, it can kind of seem like it's a little just uh, thrown together. You could have a verse about this followed by a verse about that, and it really doesn't seem like it correlates. You have to remember, when the Bible was written, that uh, when Solomon was writing this, he wasn't putting in chapters and line breaks and verses. That's something that we did later on to help it be more organized. So when you go through chapter 10, I'm going to look at chapter 10 as one continuous thought. And as you go through chapter 10, then and even though there's 32 verses, what you see is this idea of these different verses coming together in points. And what we're going to have here this morning is some major points that come out of that. So as we go through chapter 10, I may read a few verses and I may say, hey, jump ahead to verse 26, or hey, jump back to verse 14. It's not that we're necessarily jumping around, but when you look at the whole 32 verses as one continuous thought, you kind of get these bits and pieces that come together, and as you put them together, you see the full picture of what God wants. So I hope you're looking forward to this. It's a lot of fun, and I love this part of the book of Proverbs. So without much further ado, let's jump into this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. He casts away the desire of the wicked. Now, when I saw verse 2, treasures of wickedness profit nothing, the first thing that came to my mind was the story of Achan uh, back in Joshua chapter 7. Now, if you want a little more detail on this, I encourage you to grab a Wednesday night lesson that uh, Pastor Rich actually did a few weeks ago about the sin of Achan. And it goes into a lot more detail than what we could hear in just a few minutes on a Sunday morning. But a little bit of background. What was going on in Joshua is the Joshua just came off of this big military victory. Jericho was defeated. Jericho was the fortress of the time, the most powerful city of the time, and Jericho miraculously is defeated. Walls come tumbling down. It's a great victory. Well, followed after Jericho is this little time by the name of Ai. And this, this is nothing town. They send scouts out ahead, and they come back and they tell Joshua that the city is nothing. We can defeat this city with no problem. Basically, we handle Jericho, we can handle Ai, this is nothing. Well, they go to fight at Ai, and they get thoroughly romped at Ai. They come back, and Joshua goes to the Lord and said, Lord, what, what's going on here? We, we defeat this monstrous city of Jericho, but Ai, Ai that is nothing, defeats us. Well, the Lord reveals to Joshua that there's sin in the camp. And what happens is there's a guy by the name of Achan that when Jericho was defeated, he went in and he stole things from the spoil, which he wasn't allowed to do, went and hid it, dug a hole and hid it in his tent then. And so it goes through this whole process in Joshua chapter 7 of God revealing who this person is, where the sin is at, and what he did. And Achan has this famous passage where he says, you know, I saw, I coveted, and I took, and I hid. 
That's exactly what sin is. We see something, so we take it, we covet it, and then we try to hide that sin, and we think we get away with it. But what you see here in verse 2 of Proverbs 10, treasures of wickedness profit nothing. So Ai eventually is defeated here, but um, what you have with Achan, Achan is taken then, and Achan then is stoned and destroyed in front of Israel. And in fact, Achan and his descendants are destroyed too. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but the point that God is trying to tell you here is that sin that you do privately, quietly, that no one else knows about, when you treasure that wickedness, that profits nothing, and that will cause destruction to you, it will cause destruction to your family, and it will cause destruction to your church family. It will destroy you. And that's why those treasured sins, those quiet private things, those actions that no one sees, those thoughts that we have, those words that come out of our mouth that no one sees or understands, that treasured wickedness profits nothing. And Achan is an example of that. Well, what you have next is righteousness delivers from death. Now, I'll tell you this, I like that verse, but the problem is the first thing I think of when I see verse 2 is righteousness delivers from death. The problem is I'm not a very righteous person. So if I'm not a righteous person, how am I supposed to be delivered from death? This is the beauty of this. And if you're taking notes, write down this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It says, Christ became righteousness for us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? He became righteousness for us. You are not righteous. I am not righteous. Righteousness means right before God. I can't stand before God, because if I stand before God, he'll say, James, sin. Sin all around you. But when I stand before God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, God looks at me and the only things he sees is the blood of Jesus. So I am now righteous before God because of what Christ did on the cross. See, that's the whole purpose of Christianity. You've sinned, I've sinned. We can't get into heaven because of sin, because God is perfect. But God says, I'm just not going to leave you down there with the problem here. He goes, I'll give you Jesus Christ. Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins, now makes you righteous. And righteousness delivers from death. Now I love that. Because even though in my flesh I am sinful, I am wrong, but through Christ I'm forgiven and made pure and clean. Because if I don't have that righteousness, I just have death. James 1.15 says sin leads to death. I don't know about you guys, I've sinned. I've sinned a lot. That sin leads to death, but the righteousness of Christ saves me from that. So I look at verse 2 and says, righteousness delivers from death. Amen for that. But it even goes one step further. Look at verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. Now that I like even better. Because I'm righteous in Christ, God says he will not allow my soul to famish. Do you realize what that means? That God says because I am his child, he will take care of me and he will meet all my needs. Now note we said he will meet your needs. He did not say he will meet your wants. Because when you're famished, God says, I will not allow you to be famished. That means your needs will be met. And I'm going to tell you right now, God and I have had some pretty big conversations on needs versus wants. And he always wins because he knows a need and I know my wants. And sometimes we think we need things when we really just want it. Quick story about this. Uh, Dawn and I and the kids went over to uh, the Fulton County Fair here this last Tuesday. And the one thing that they wanted, we go through a list of what would you guys like and the one thing that they wanted was cotton candy on a stick. So that was the whole conversation the whole time, was cotton candy on a stick. Going to get cotton candy on a stick. Now, you, you know at the fair, 
the, the prices of some of those things. And cotton candy on a stick is a good couple hundred bucks. You know, that's just the way it comes down to. And, and my wife, who is, is very, um, I, I can't think of a word to describe when it comes to this, but very frugal on those type of things. She wants to buy one cotton candy on a stick. She comes up to me and she says, well, tell her to put one cotton candy on a stick, but spread it out over three sticks. I was like, honey, I, I can't do that type of stuff. I just can't. So she tells her that's what she wants. And the lady just doesn't do it. She only puts two cotton candies on the stick. So Kenan, number three, you know, he's forgot about already. He doesn't get cotton candy on the stick. <laughs> Guys, it's okay. <laughs> he's already forgot about it. He's only two. So I'm not being mean. I'm just saying, now you guys are all going to go tell Kenan you're going to get him cotton candy. But the point is, so we have these two cotton candies on the stick. Well, Elias and Judah are just eating the cotton candy. They absolutely love it. They absolutely devour it. You know, obviously it's cotton candy. We get done. They're still hungry. Okay, so they're still hungry. So once again, my wife, who's very frugal and plans ahead, she has food available for them. She brought snacks from home, good, healthy, good snacks. They don't want that snack. Do you know what they want more of? Cotton candy on a stick. Now, in their mind, they're hungry. That's a need. They need nourishment. They need food. So the best food for them to eat is cotton candy on a stick. So as your job as a parent is to say what? Yes, you're hungry. I understand you're hungry. You need food at this time. But you want cotton candy on a stick. You don't need cotton candy on a stick. We'll get you something else to eat. Now, the problem for us spiritually is this. There's a lot of times in life where you guys want cotton candy on a stick. And God says no. And you know what you do? Same thing I do. We sit there and we throw a little fit because we want our cotton candy on a stick. Or we get some cotton candy on a stick and we want more of it. And God says no. And we do the same thing. We get bothered. We get upset. We have to trust that this verse here in Proverbs 10.3 says, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. God says, I will meet your needs. Your soul will not famish. But yet sometimes my need is different than my want, and that's what causes a problem. Because I've seen people come to me with quote-unquote needs, and they're really wants. My life, my soul will famish unless I have a guy or a gal in my life to fulfill me. No, that's not true. My soul will famish unless I get a different job because I can't handle this anymore. Not necessarily true. My soul will famish if this physical malady is not taken care of. Not necessarily true. God may say, you know what? I'm going to use you being single for greater good. I'm going to use you at that tough workplace for greater good. I'm going to use that physical malady for a greater good. God says, I will not allow your soul to famish. We may have a different opinion than God on what we believe is a need or he may say, no, James, that's just a want. It's just more cotton candy on the stick. You have to trust the Lord. He will not allow your soul to famish. He will not. That's the promise there. Well, what happens then is we start looking at this and we start saying, okay, God's going to meet my needs. He's not going to allow the righteous soul to famish. Well, then what do I have to worry about? I'm just going to do nothing. Well, look at verse 4. That's the beautiful thing about Proverbs here. It presents both sides of the case. Proverbs 10.4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. And stay in Proverbs 10 and look at verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. We live in a society today where we've reached a point where everything is just expected to be given to us. And we just expect that. 
We expect the handout. So we expect everything to be handed to us in a silver platter. God says right here in verse 4, if you have a slack hand, you're going to be poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. The Lord is saying right here in verse 5, he who gathers in the summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in the harvest is a son who causes shame. Now, we live in a farming community. Corn's coming off. Corn's coming off, what, about a month early. You don't see these farmers sitting around here saying, well, I'm not ready for this. I'm supposed to have another month yet. I'm just going to sit and do nothing. No, it's time to harvest your harvest. See, the problem is sometimes spiritually, God says, okay, it's time to harvest. I, I, I just don't want to right now. It doesn't really work into my schedule. I got a lot of stuff going on. God says, yeah, but I've called you for this purpose. I've called you to use you now at this point, be it at work, at home, at church. Yeah, can you, can you come back later? See, I don't get to dictate when the harvest is. But when God says, James, it's time to harvest, I just need to be prepared and ready in whatever capacity he calls me to harvest. That's the purpose of being a Christian, is when God says go, we go. And I have to trust that he is going to meet my needs as I do that. And I have to trust that I'm going to be prepared and ready when he says go, to go do this. Because Christianity is just not sitting there twiddling your thumbs, saying, you know what, God's just going to take care of everything. I'm going to open my door and boom, there's all the money I need right there. No, there's effort on our part to get out there and take care of things and to be diligent and harvest when it's time to harvest. Because God has promised, verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. He will take care of us. But we also need to get out there and be available for his purposes. You know what else the Bible says too on this point? Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, he's not going to allow your soul to famish. But you have to ask yourself, are you hungering and thirsting for a deeper walk with him? Because if somebody comes up to me and says, I just feel so empty, where's the Lord? One of the questions I'm going to ask is, what are you doing in your walk with the Lord to go deeper in him? Well, if you're not doing anything, you probably will feel empty and dry. Part of being a Christian is hungering and thirsting for a deeper walk with the Lord. And when you hunger and thirst for that deeper walk with the Lord, your soul will not famish. But if you do not have that deeper walk with the Lord, you're really going to walk away feeling empty. You know, James promises us in the book of James that draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is a promise. If you spend time with the Lord, be it in prayer, be it in worship, be it in the Word, be it in fellowship and serving, God says, I will bless you for that, and you will walk away going deeper and stronger in your walk. That is a promise. And so therefore, I know my soul will not famish, because the longer I walk with the Lord and the deeper I walk with Him, the stronger that spiritual walk becomes, and He will get me through those dark times. And I tell you guys, it's easy to let my soul famish. But God says, I won't allow that to happen, James. Stay focused on me. And that's what you see here. And what's the result of being strong in Him, going deeper in Him, harvesting when He says harvest? Well, look at verse 6. Blessings. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. Now, once again, in our society, Christianity has taught us blessings are this. You pray today, and tomorrow God will give you that new car. Now, that's up to the Lord. I'm not going to say no, but that's up to the Lord. Blessings carry so much more than just material. Pastor Rich is always so apt to say sometimes blessings are just peace in the home. Sometimes blessings are just those things that seem just to keep working and keep going and keep flowing. There are so many different types of blessings. And I don't think until we get up to heaven until we fully realize and see God's hand being on so many different things. The result of this, not treasuring wickedness in our heart, 
but realizing the righteousness of Jesus, not allowing our soul to famish, being ready to be available to be used by the Lord, the result of this in verse 6 is blessing. But you know what the flip side is? Look at the rest of verse 6. Violence covers the mouth of the wicked. We as a body of Christ, and I don't mean harvest, I mean overall as a body of Christ, Christians in the world, our mouth gets us in so much trouble, doesn't it? You know, I, I would hope that by just listening to someone's speech, you'd be able to tell whether they walk with the Lord or whether they don't. sad part is when you hear somebody speak, sometimes you can't tell the difference between the world and Christianity. And I'm not necessarily saying the language. Obviously, language is wrong. But I'm saying sometimes just the complaining, the gossiping, the anger, the bitterness, that when those words come out, you see the heart being revealed, and violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Words get us in trouble. Words get us in a lot of trouble. So what should we do as Christians? Well, stay in Proverbs 10, jump ahead of verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. I like that. Let's read that one more time. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 19 there. Sometimes wisdom is in what you don't say. Sometimes wisdom is not saying anything. Yet we think of wisdom, oh, that person's really wise. They always have a lot of good advice. I tell you, some of the wisest people I've met just don't talk that much. There's wisdom in that. If you want another verse to go along with this, if you're taking notes, James 1, 19 through 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's James 1, 19 and 20. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You don't have to say everything that comes to your mind. You don't. And I'm telling you right now, I struggle with that. Because I feel better when I say it. It doesn't make the situation better. It makes me feel better. And really what it does is just create more problems later on. There is wisdom in verse 19 here and the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Stay with this if you will. Look at verse 14. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. I tell you, if you don't watch your words, what's the result of this going to be? Well, Verse 6, it says, violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And verse 14 says, the mouth of the foolish is destruction. So the result of not watching your words, destruction and violence. If you don't watch what you say, violence and destruction are always going to be right around the corner because your words will get you in trouble. It just will happen. You'll get in trouble at work, you'll get in trouble at home, you'll get in trouble at school, wherever you're at. If you can't watch your words, you'll get in trouble. Part of maturity is being able to hold and control your tongue. A wise, mature person knows what to say, when to say, how to say it, and if anything, if they should say it. So wisdom sometimes is not saying anything. Now the problem is we take this verse and we go so far that, fine, I just won't say anything. Well, that's not necessarily the answer either. Because I, I was sharing this earlier, that one of, one of my pet peeves, and, and, I, and I warn you here, this is my personal opinion, one of my pet peeves is when somebody says something without saying anything. When somebody comes up and says, well, you know, I think, and then they stop. Well, I'm just not going to say anything. Oh, come on, you already said something. You're already revealing that you have a thought in your heart. You're already revealing that you have a very strong opinion. Or, I'm, no, I'm not going to say anything, it's just going to get me in trouble. See, you, you, what I always say with that is you're basically taking a swing and not letting anybody else take a swing back. 
Because you want us to know you're bothered. You want us to know you're upset. You want us to know that there's an opinion that you have, but yet you're trying to look really mature by saying, well, I'm just not going to say anything. Now, you're already letting the cat out of the bag. You may only let the head out of the bag, but you're letting part of the cat out of the bag. And that's going to come back. So what happens is we say, well, I'm just not going to say anything then. I'll just walk around not saying anything. Well, look at verse 18. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. See, if you are bothered by something, and there's hatred in your heart, and you don't do anything about it, you're just as wrong. See, I know people that didn't, I just won't say anything. So they walk around with a chip on their shoulder. What's wrong? Nothing. I can tell something's wrong. No, nothing's wrong. No, you're hiding hatred in your heart. You're bothered. You're upset. And sometimes that has to be dealt with. Now, Matthew 18 has, has laid this out, and this is something as Christians we just don't seem to pay that much attention to, but Matthew 18 says, if, if your brother has done something to offend you or bother you, you go to him, you go to him alone, and you get it worked out. But so often what we do in this body of Christ is, my brother has done something wrong to offend me, so A, I don't say anything, and I walk around bitter, angry, and upset. Well, that doesn't do any good. Number two, Instead of going to him and him alone, I tell 50 other people first. That doesn't do any good either. The Bible says you go to him and him alone. Well, I don't want to go talk to him about it. Well, then you need to have a good heart-to-heart -heart with the Lord and get it off your chest then and let it go. Because if you hide that hatred in your heart, verse 18, I'm just going to pretend everything's okay, you're lying. Because it's not okay. And I've seen Christians walk around ticked, angry, and upset. You ask them what's wrong, nothing, nothing. Now, something's wrong. You just are not dealing with it. You've got to take it to the Lord then. If you can't through the Lord work it out through forgiveness and forgetting, you need to go to that person and say, we need to work this out as brothers in the Lord. It just boggles my mind when I see Christians holding on to, to that, just that bitterness and that anger and that frustration where it destroys relationships. It boggles my mind when I stop back and I look and I say, why do I do that? I mean, why? The hurt and heartache it causes... You or your spouse or your family, it's just not worth it. But how often do we hide that hatred in our heart? Violence, words, those words will come back to cause problems. And those actions will eventually come out. And when they come out, they need to be dealt with. So part of maturity and wisdom is watching what we say and watching what we do. Because when you watch what you say and watch what you do, there is maturity in that. Continue this. Look at verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. When you are a mature believer, when you watch what you say and how you say it, God says the words that you speak, that mouth is like silver. It's precious. Because you're not tearing people down. You're not hiding hatred. You're not allowing anger and bitterness to get the best of you. Your words come out as an encouragement. Look at verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of wisdom. When you watch your words, your lips, the words that you speak, feed many people. Words can be so powerful. You know, on a typical Sunday, you know, between both services, we probably got 350, 400 people that go through these doors. And you know what? The, they're fed. They're fed by hopefully the teaching of the word. They're fed hopefully by the worship. They're fed hopefully by the encouragement that you give each other during the break. They're, they're fed by those things. That's the purpose of church, is coming and getting fed then. That's the purpose of it. So what it really comes down to is, the words you choose to speak, 
Are we the precious stones that are building people up and feeding people, taking them deeper in the walk with the Lord? Or those words are tearing down your family, tearing down your marriage, tearing down your relationships, or you're hiding hatred in your heart where you think you're over it, where really bitterness and anger is just eating you up. God says those things have to be dealt with. They have to be dealt with. And what's the result of that, verse 22? The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. It comes back to blessing again. It is a blessing to not have hatred in your heart. It is a blessing to watch your words. It's a blessing when you know your tongue is not going to get you in trouble. It's a blessing. I know people, it's like, every time I say something, I get myself in trouble. Well, then don't talk. For your sake and for the sake of others, just don't talk. If you know what you say is going to cause problems, you need to go back to these verses here. Once again, verse 19, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. You've heard us joke out here before. Some people don't have a filter between brain and mouth. It just flows right on out. Maturity and wisdom is sometimes in realizing, I don't need to say that. Not everyone needs to know and hear my opinions. They don't. And wisdom is saying, Lord, I can let that go. We can let it go and allow the Lord just to work on it. Because what it comes down to as a believer, your words are so important. And, and why do we want to? Why do we need to say something? You ever thought about that when you're angry and frustrated or bothered? Why do you need to say something? You need to say something because it bothers you that that person that hurt or wronged you is going to get away with it. Isn't that the truth? It bothers me that they're going to get away with it. Well, the Lord says right here that they're not going to get away with it. Because look at these verses. Look at verse 25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. Isn't that a fun verse? The whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. Stay in Proverbs here. Verse 27. Uh, the years of the wicked will be shortened. Verse 28. The expectation of the wicked will perish. And uh, verse 24. The fear of the wicked will come upon him. You read these verses and these verses are like, that's what I like to hear. Is the wicked going to get their due? See, here's the thing. And we were just talking about this last Wednesday. We're going through uh, Life of David and Psalms and Psalm 3. And one of the points that came up is, also part of a mature believer is, you, you really don't want the wicked to get their due. You want the wicked to come know Jesus Christ. Because I don't care how angry or upset at somebody you are, you do not want that person to languish in hell for all of eternity. You don't. The love of Jesus says, I want that person to get saved. The love of Jesus says, I want that person to truly know who the Lord is. Because you know what? I, I get into these verses sometimes and I get riled up by them. Uh, there'll be people that I have a problem with. There'll be situations that I'm upset at and I'm like, Lord, let the wicked perish. You know, Lord, call fire down from heaven. Let's toast those guys right here, right now. But you know what? During the Gospels, when John and James said, shall we call fire down from heaven, do you remember Christ's response? He says, you do not know what matter of heart you are. See, when I see somebody who's full of that much anger and frustration and they want to call the fire down from heaven, something's not right in the heart. Because God says we should desire grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I'll be honest with you right now. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness is not as fun as watching someone be toasted. It is so much more fun to watch the wicked be toasted. The problem is God loves them. Don't ask me why, but God loves them. And the truth of the matter is, one day, sometimes, you're the wicked. And someone wants to call fire down from heaven on you. And God says, I love them. 
See, that's the thing is, all these people that wrong me and bother me, I'm also wronging and bothering somebody else. That person that you sit there and it's like, oh, this person just frustrates me and it's just so hard to be around them. Somebody is sitting there saying that about you. Because what happens is we get offended and we offend people. It's a fact. And so we really don't want the wicked to perish. We really want the wicked to get saved. And i got to check my heart sometimes because sometimes my heart gets so full of anger that I forget the whole love, grace, mercy thing. Where Jesus said, I will show you my love by dying on the cross for the sins of the wicked. You know, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this manner. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not wait for the wicked James to become the halfway decent James. And then I'll die for you. Christ died for me when I was a horrible sinner. So he died for the wicked. Then the wicked gets saved. And that's the beautiful thing about it. But it's hard. It's really hard. Because we have been wrong sometimes and it's hard to let it go. And that's why God says in Hebrews, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Do you trust that the Lord will take care of those rights and those wrongs? We have to trust that. Because remember that verse, Proverbs 10.3, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. God says, I'll get you through this. I'll get you through this. And look, even goes one step further. Look at verse 30. The righteous will never be removed. So if my world feels like it's falling apart around me, the waves of water are lapping over my head, my foundation of life is struggling and falling apart, and I, and I feel everything crumbling on me, God says, no, it's not going to happen. The righteous will never be removed. Because of your walk and your relationship with Christ, that will get you through whatever problem you're facing and whatever situation you're facing. Because the righteous soul will not be famished. So when I get that angry and that upset or that bothered or that offended or that hurt, God says, I'll get you through this. Because I won't re remove you. He also says, your soul will not be famished. I'll get you through this. I have to trust that. I have to trust that. That when it looks so dark and so discouraging, God's still going to get me through it. Look at verse 29. The way of the Lord is strength for the upright. Boy, God help us in those tough times. He gives us strength in those tough times. Look at verse 28. The hope of the righteous will be gladness. See, if I'm righteous, born again and saved in Christ, look at all these promises. Verse 30 will not be removed. Verse 3, the righteous soul will not famish. Verse 28, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. And what did we just talk about? I believe it was last Wednesday. You either focus on the Savior or you focus on the situation. If you focus on the Savior, gladness and joy are your strength to get you through it. If you focus on the situation, you will become discouraged and depressed. Because this world is a depressed, discouraging world. There's no way around that. And if you focus on what is wrong in the world, it will bring you down. But if you keep your eyes on the Savior, the righteousness of Christ, there is joy and gladness to get you through even the difficult times. Now the question comes up, do we believe that? Do we believe that the righteous soul will never be famished? Do we believe that he will keep us standing strong? Do we believe he'll give us strength? Because he promised us that. We either believe it or we don't. Do we believe that he will take care of the wicked, that I don't have to worry about the wicked, I don't have to worry about proving that person wrong, God will take care of revealing that. That's the faith and trust that is needed. And this is what he's saying is, do you believe this? 
Because wisdom says we need to accept this and understand. Look at these verses here. Proverbs, look at 10.8. The wise in heart will receive commands. Verse 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses construct, excuse me, correction goes astray. Wisdom is, I will receive commands. Wisdom, in verse 17, is I will re- receive instruction. See, there's something I like to use, a little phrase I like to use, called unteachable spirit. There are some people I've met that have an unteachable spirit. You share with them the scriptures, the truth of God's word. They hear it, but they don't apply it. That's an unteachable spirit. They hear it, but yet they don't put it into action. They come in, be it for counseling, be it marriage counseling, life, whatever, and you say, hey, I'm struggling with this issue. So you give them the scriptures, you give them the answer. It's straight out of God's word, but then they don't apply it. What are they not doing? They're not, verse 8, receiving commands. Verse 17, they're not keeping instruction. So what's the result of that? He who refuses correction, verse 17, goes astray. That's a situation that happened with uh, Kenan recently. We were out doing something, and Kenan walked away. And I said, Kenan, and he just kept on walking. I said, stop. He kept on walking. So I went and I picked him up, and I took him and I disciplined him. Because I told him, I said, did you hear Daddy say your name? Yes. Did you hear me say stop? Yes. Should you have stopped? Yes. He heard the command. He knows the instructions. He broke the rules. And there's going to be times and places where I'm going to say, Ken, and stop. And he's going to have to stop right away because he's either going to be walking towards a road. He's going to not see something coming. There's going to be some type of danger that when he hears his father say stop or hears his father say his name, he needs to obey. And so that discipline that we gave him is a reminder to him to obey. You know what? Nothing changes between us and God the Father. God the Father gives us commands and gives us instructions. He says, James, stop. He says, my name, I keep on walking. If I keep on walking, what's he going to do? He's going to discipline me in love because he doesn't want me to get near the road of life. He doesn't want me to get in danger. But the problem is, just like Kenan did not like being disciplined and there were tears and there was crying, I don't like it when God disciplines me. But I have to trust that when I refuse correction, that I'm going to go astray, and then God in his infinite love and wisdom will bring me back. And you know what? If I keep walking towards that road, I'm going to keep getting disciplined. And I have sometimes people come in and talk to me, and they're angry and upset about this and this and that, and I sometimes think, you're just getting disciplined left and right. Maybe if you just stop and just listen to the commands and instructions of the Lord, it wouldn't happen that way. But yet, just as the two-year-old, We think we have it all figured out. We think we have all the answers. God's wisdom is commands and instructions. And once again, not to repeat this, look at verse 17. He who keeps instructions is in the way of life. He who refuses correction goes astray. If you refuse to live your life according to the biblical standards that God has set up, that he said is right, what do you think is going to happen? That is not a threat. That is just what do you really think is going to happen? When we live our lives in a manner that is not in line with God's will, problems will arise. Not because he hates us, not that because he wants to make us miserable, but he says, I will discipline you to bring you back on the right path because I love you. Now, do we trust him? Because wisdom says, do we trust him? What's the result of trusting him? Verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Verse 28, Once again, the hope of the righteous will be gladness. In verse 30, the righteous will never be removed. See, that fear of the Lord in verse 27, we think of fear as 
as shaking. That word fear really means a healthy respect for the Lord. And what did we do? The first verse that we studied here in Proverbs months ago was Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Do you respect the Lord enough to say, Lord, I want to live my life according to your Bible. I want to live my life according to what you have deemed as right and good. Because I realize when I live my life according to what you deem right as good, there's a blessing that comes out of that. There's a peace that comes out of that. There's a gladness that comes out of that. Jesus said in the book of John that obedience brings joy. And I tell you right now, in my Christian walk, when I'm not obedient, I'm not a real happy guy to be around because the joy isn't there. And when I'm obedient and following what the Lord says, even though the situation may be dark and gloomy and difficult, there's still a joy because the Lord is getting me through it. So what we've learned here is what? When you accept that righteousness of the Lord, boy, the blessings come. When you understand what it means to really have that relationship with Christ, and you have that righteousness in your life through what he did on the cross. You're not treasuring the wickedness in your heart. God says, I will be with you. I'll keep you from being famished. I will give you strength. I will keep you from being removed. I will help you through it. And I'll help you watch what you say. Because maturity is watching your words. Maturity and wisdom is knowing what to say, when to say, and even if to say. And what have we said here numerous times with the book of Proverbs? The reason we study this stuff now so that way when the situation comes up, we're ready and prepared for what God has to say and what he wants us to do and when he wants us to do it. Because wisdom is I study now to be prepared later on. There's going to come a situation, I'm telling you right now, maybe before you leave this church, maybe before you get home, or maybe today, tomorrow, where you're going to stop and you're going to say, in the multitudes of words, sin is not lacking. I probably should just keep my mouth shut. Lord, wisdom to know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. If you guys want to come forward here for the final song. We'll be continuing on with Proverbs here next week. I encourage you, find some time this week to uh, read through Proverbs 11. Because like I said, with us kind of jumping around a little bit in those chapters, it's great if you can sit there and read and kind of just digest it and read over it, saying, okay, Lord, what do you have to say with this?